morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. Welcome to Stony Brook Church. My name is Pastor David Hoffman. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. I bring you greetings on behalf of our entire staff, including our preacher for the day, uh, Pastor Bob Thomas, our emeritus pastor. As we begin our time together today, you'll find a connection card in your bulletin packet or online at stonybrook.church. And you can use this um, as a chance to register your attendance with us today. It is also a place where you can share your prayer concerns with that, and we would be privileged uh, to hold your concerns in prayer this week. And it's also a way to register for some upcoming events. Just a couple of announcements as we gather. Uh, the Vacation Bible School kickoff will be next Sunday, June 19th. There'll be a blessing offered at all three services for our volunteers, our students, and, and their families. And after the service, the VBS kids will be offering a refreshing drink from our Make Waves Lemonade Stand that will be outside um, next, next week. Um, the, each child that, that attends um, Vacation Bible School will receive a lemonade kit that they can uh, take home with them and create a lemonade stand in their own neighborhood. And then all of the donations that are received from the lemonade stands will benefit a kit again, which is a children's charity that provides cost-free reoccurring events for children um, with special um, or serious life-threatening conditions and their families. Um, so that's one way that we are reaching out um, as, a, as a ministry. Um, and this idea came from one of our, of our uh, children. So uh, what a way to uh, support them in mission and ministry. And then next Sunday afternoon from three into five, we'll host a VBS kickoff event in the rear parking lot. And the students and their families will have an opportunity to experience a preview of the fun activities scheduled for Vacation Bible School Week, which is that following week, June 20th through the 24th. Friends, Pastor Clara will be with us and celebrate her first Sunday with us on June 26th. Uh, we are gifting her with a, a special creation. Blair Bickle has drawn a fingerprint tree, and you're invited to add your fingerprint and your name. And if you have done this, uh, you know all about uh, a green thumb. Um, so uh, you can also do one of your fingers as well. Um, but you can, uh, right outside the sanctuary, um, use a, a stamp pad and put your, uh, your print and there, put your name on there. If you've already done it, um, I encourage you to look at it. It's beautiful, uh, quite a creation that we have, have made. So uh, we invite you to help us to welcome Pastor Clara by doing that. And also next Sunday is Pastor Bob's last Sunday with us. We thank God for the many ways in which he has served and, and led this congregation for the past eight years as senior pastor, then as emeritus pastor. It's been my extreme privilege to work with you over this past year and learn from you. So thank you for all that you've done um, for this congregation. If you have not yet had an opportunity um, to show your appreciation for Pastor Bob's leadership and his ministry among us, we're doing a card shower. And in the middle of the doors in the back of the sanctuary, there are cards um, that you can express um, your love and care for Bob. So certainly I invite you to do that. Friends, you'll find uh, many more items about the uh, life and ministry of our church in this morning's bulletin and online um, as well. This truly is the day that God has given to us. I invite us now to be in worship together.
you haven't seen anything yet. We got a preview at 8 o'clock. So. Friends, I invite you in body or spirit to stand and join with me in this morning's call to worship. Let us worship the eternal God, the source of love and life, who creates us. Let us worship the Spirit, the holy fire, who renews us to the one true God. Be praised in all times and places through the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us sing together. may be seated. I invite us now to a time of prayer, a prayer for this day, Trinity Sunday as we gather. Let us pray. 
We are a world that is desperate for you, O oh God. When powers struggle for dominance and war, oppression, violence, and abuse result, when groups of people oppose one another because of ideology, religion, or culture, we need a God who is bigger than ourselves and our personal interests. When people are disregarded and devalued because of poverty, geography, or disease, when compassion and justice is withheld to some because of sexuality, race, or gender, we need a Savior who is more compassionate than we are, one who includes even those we would exclude. When resources are mismanaged and abused and, and the world and its creatures are destroyed, when motivation is scarce and creativity is in short supply to address the challenges that we face, we need a spirit who is more powerful and more creative than we could ever be. O oh Lord God, loving Savior, empowering Spirit, three in one, we offer you these prayers and, and the prayers that we bring this day because we need you so desperately. We ask, O oh God, that you captivate us, that you call us, that you fill us, that we may be carriers of your eternal life carriers of your eternal life to this world that you love so dearly. Oh God, hear us. Hear us now as we join our hearts and voices together, practicing the unity that you command and that you so desperately want for us. Hear us, oh God, as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to hear this gift of music this morning.
Gospel lesson for today comes from John, the 16th chapter. I'll be reading verses 12 through 15. Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he says these words, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of God for all God's children. Thanks be to God. Holy God, we praise thy name. you bow with me for a moment of prayer. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. This is how the fourth gospel begins, with this lyrical introduction to God, who is word, creator, life, all from the very beginning, the sovereign triune God of time and eternity. And throughout his gospel, John rehearses this idea over and over again as he records Jesus saying many times, 
The Father and I are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The Spirit is sent from the Father and the Son and is present from the very beginning. Grappling with the nature of God must have been an issue for the early church for whom the gospel was written. And it clearly was an issue for the disciples themselves since Jesus says over and over, if you see me, you see the Father. And the Spirit makes known what he hears from the Father and by extension from me. Last Sunday, we celebrated the advent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And today, we ponder the nature of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one. Remember, Jesus insists that he and the Father and the Spirit are one. But how can that be? What does that mean? One Sunday morning in the Roman Catholic Church, they were having confirmation, and they had invited the archbishop to come, and as part of his responsibility, he asked the children questions, and he asked one, the question, a definition for the Holy Trinity. The little girl answered very softly, the Holy Trinity is three persons in one God. The archbishop, who was a bit hard of hearing, said, I didn't understand what you said. And the young theologian looked him in the eye and said, you are not supposed to, it is a mystery. <laughs> Frederick Buechner, in his book, Wishful Thinking, writes, the much maligned doctrine of the Trinity is an assertion that, appearances of the contrary notwithstanding, there is only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mean that the mystery beyond us, the mystery among us, and the mystery within us are all the same mystery. Thus, the Trinity is a way of saying something about us and the way we experience God. And then he continues and says, the Trinity is also a way of saying something about God and the way God is within himself. For example, God does not need the creation in order to have something to love. Because within God's self, love happens. In other words, the love God is, is love. Not as a noun, but as a verb. And this verb is reflexive as well as transitive. What that means is that God's love is internal, with no direct object, as well as external, with multiple direct objects, us. In our scripture lesson for today, Jesus is talking to his followers in the upper room on the night before he is crucified. He has washed their feet, instructed them to love one another as he has loved them. And then Jesus goes on to explain that he is the way and the truth and the life and promises to send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And then Jesus instructs the eleven to remain connected to him like branches to the vine. He warns them about the possibility that if they are faithful to his way and teachings in the world, that the world will hate them as the world hated him. And once again, he tries to assure the disciples that it really is a good thing that he is going away to return to his father. The disciples are confused. They are not convinced. They are overwhelmed. And you can almost hear the sigh in Jesus' voice when he says, I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you or guide you into all truth. You see, Jesus understands that the disciples and that we all learn in stages. He tells the disciples that they can handle this much now, but there's more later on. But they couldn't even handle that now if he told them. And we know that that's true. We are all at different stages in the journey of faith and life and, and what we were able to cope with and what changes that, that need to be made over time that we then can understand. It's not judgment. It's a statement of fact. It's not a judgment on humanity to say that we have to crawl before we can run and that most of us have to develop some proficiency in walking before we can start to skip. And some of us have yet to learn that, to chew gum and walk at the same time. I, I never understood how they could march in bands and play instruments at the same time. That just is fascinating. It's not judgment. It's life. Over the course of Jesus' goodbye speech, chapters 14 through 17 of John's Gospels, the disciples have had a lot to bear of Jesus' teaching. In this elongated teaching moment, Jesus has been downloading a lot of information about, about love, about future events, new commandment, and this mysterious paraclete, or Holy Spirit, or comforter, or advocate, and it isn't mentioned anywhere else. So this word about what the disciples can bear then must not just be about capacity, because if that were the case, Jesus could have stopped speaking a long time ago. Maybe this isn't about capacity, but at least it's not about capacity in the immediate sense. John 15, 15, Jesus already noted that he has made known to them everything that he received from the Father. This observation about what they can bear isn't about capacity in terms of the sheer amount of information that they can understand but instead it seems to be more about time and context. They can't bear any more words now because there are words that they need to hear in the future that wouldn't even make sense now. And that's true for us. And the good news is that God continues to reveal God's will and word to us over time as we are ready and able. Two years before his death in 1987, Dr. Harold Beck was the keynote teacher and preacher at a joint East and West Ohio pastor's school held at Ohio Northern University. Dr. Beck taught Hebrew scripture at Boston University School of Theology for 33 years. He was a great lecturer and a wonderful teacher. And toward the end of his lecture about the ongoing revelation of God through scripture, he paused and with an impish look in his eye, picked up his well-worn Bible and opened just the back cover and told us that he had always longed to stand in the pulpit and rip the back cover off of the Bible because he was so convinced that God had not spoken when the text was canonized, that God continued to reveal God's will and God's self to those who were ready and able to hear and understand more of the revealed truth. And we understand that too. 
How many times uh, have we read a familiar passage that we could almost recite by heart only to be stopped in our tracks as we see and hear for the first time the real truth that is there all along. We'd finally caught up with God through our own life experiences and study to be ready to grasp and understand. Yes, the more we can bear, but when the time is right, the triune God still speaks to our hearts. When I was pastor at London First in Madison County, Reverend Ron Cook was appointed to the United Methodist Church in Lily Chapel. Ron was a pastor from Australia, and he came to the States to work on a Doctor of Ministry degree at United Theological Seminary in Dayton. Ron and his wife Adele and their two daughters got settled in the parsonage over the summer. I was getting ready to offer a Disciple One class at London First, and we had been having conversations at clergy groups throughout the summer. And Ron asked if some of his people could come and join us. And of course we said yes, and, and so Adele and two other women from Lily Chapel came to be a part of that Disciple One class. It was great fun for all of us. We were interested in getting to know one another and to learn a little bit about life in Australia, and, and they were glad to know about life here in the U.S. Adele was such a gracious and lovely person, a person of deep faith. Before coming to the U.S., we learned that Adele had been diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. It was a very difficult time in her life. And we were talking about how reading a favorite and familiar scripture can bring comfort. Adele said, there are so many times when I was hurting or depressed while going through chemo and radiation that the Holy Spirit had this way of, of speaking a new word through an old text to calm my fear, and to soothe my hurting soul. And we all agreed that we had experienced some little bit of that as well. In the text for today, Jesus' observation about what the disciples can bear is then not about capacity in terms of the sheer amount of information that they can understand, but instead is about time and context. Jesus promises that the Spirit will guide them to truth as the future unfolds. And that word will still be from the one that they trust and have a relationship with. Jesus says he, the Holy Spirit, will speak whatever he hears, but the word will fit the needs of the community at the time. You can't bear it now, but then is a different story. The assurance here is not of some intellectual truth, but rather a reassurance of an ongoing presence, the same kind of comforting words that the Father through Jesus offered to the disciples as they traveled together around the Galilean countryside. God's promise is the same for us as well. He will be with us in the ways that we need, when we need it, infused by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can continue to grow and mature as Christ followers. Mary Beth Kate and I went to see Top Gun Maverick last week. I remember the original. I liked it, that one. I, I, liked the, I liked the sequel as well. When Tom, Tom Cruise as flight instructor Pete Mitchell, known as Maverick, 
was trying to convince one of the pilots in his class to trust all that he had learned in the academy and the, the countless hours of flight instruction and the training to get out of his head and to just fly. And he looks into the face of this young pilot and he shouts at him and he says, don't think, just do it. You know, there are times when we have studied the text and we have prayed and we've looked at all the angles and we've meditated and we still find ourselves hesitant to take that next faithful step to follow the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just need to say to ourselves or have someone say to us, don't think, just do it. It's good advice, even though it's only a line from a movie. So God is this mysterious, dynamic trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And very importantly, the Bible reminds us that we are created in the image of God. Think about it. Movement, dynamic creation is the heart of what it means to be human. The relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is often described with a Greek word meaning to dance. It's that fluid exchange between the three persons moving, giving, receiving. It is the eternal dance of love at the center of God's being. Constant movement, constant creation and recreation. God isn't static God didn't just create the world like some divine watchmaker and then set it running and sit back and watch what might happen. God is constantly renewing and creating, making all things new. God is constantly at work in our world through the dynamic movement of these three persons of the Trinity at work in us. This means that movement and change and creativity should be at the heart of who we are and what our community does together. This is the God we worship, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the God in whose image we are created. So when we are not reflecting God's image as Trinity, we find that the diseases of loneliness Isolation, selfishness, exclusivity begin to blight our own lives and tarnish the community of which we are a part. When we are not reflecting God's image as Trinity, we find that the effects of inequality get acted out on all people, rich and poor alike. When we are not reflecting God's image as Trinity, we find ourselves simply stuck in a rut, not growing, not developing, we are left by the side of the road, and the great dance goes on. Part of the role of the church is to remind us and to announce to the world around us who we are and whose we are. God the Trinity is the God we pray to, the God into whose life you were baptized, the Holy One to whom we belong and relate to through our lives. I asked the Wednesday morning Bible study group to tell me their experiences of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know what? All their answers were relational. That's good. They really have been listening. They said things like, God shows me what I need to do and how I can serve others. God listens to me, loves me, even carries me when the road gets too rough. 
God is with me every day. God urges me gently, but sometimes not so gently. Jesus died on the cross, so I gave my life to him. God hears me when I pray for patience for myself and healing for my friends and family. One person confessed for all of us that sometimes he obeyed God's commandments, but most of the time he just rebelled. But he said he still forgives me and guides me, protects me, protects me and comforts me. Someone else wrote, the Holy Spirit helps me distinguish right from wrong and intervenes in my daily life if I let him. Holy Spirit helps me understand scripture. God gives me choices. Sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no. God showers me with blessings and loves me even when I am not so lovable. I can tell God anything. God taught me grace. God watches over me. God helps me help others. He tells me I need more patience. God speaks to me and I listen most of the time. You see, the class is right. God is involved in our lives if we let him. God keeps on communicating with us and gives us about what we can bear. Our gospel lesson today presents the Trinity as a way of understanding God for, with, and in us and of understanding ourselves for, with, and in God as daughters and sons who have seen what it means to be children of God as we look to the life of Jesus. Through his example, his teaching, his love, we are made to understand and to rejoice in God's love for us and to learn to love one another as neighbors dwelling close to the heart of God. And when we do this, when we show the world in loving words and works that the world is also the beloved, when we embody God's love in all the things that we do. And meanwhile, the Spirit is always with us, guiding us on this way of love, creating a space for us and in us to be part of the Trinitarian dance of the divine. Now, part of the language of the church is tied up in this doctrine of the Trinity. We, we call it the Trinitarian formula. You may not have heard it called that, but you know what I'm talking about. Last week and next week, you will hear the liturgy of baptism, that we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. At confirmation, we ask the confirmands, do you believe in God the Father? And then we all join together and respond with the beginning of the historic confession of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Then the pastor says, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And together we continue. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and so on. Then the pastor asks, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And we conclude with the confirmands, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. When couples come to the church to get married, after the vows and the rings and the candles and the sand and the flowers and all the rest, the pastor announces to all who are present, I announce to you that they are husband and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
And on most Sundays, we end our worship services with a blessing and sending forth in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when the faithful come for a final time to the chancel in a coffin or an urn, we bless them as a child of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, though we try to talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have to admit that our language is inadequate, our reasoning is flawed, and our understanding is lacking. So I think it's best to call it what it is, mystery. And we only get about what we can bear. So I want to leave you with these words from the pen of the fifth century theologian, St. Augustine. His concept of the Trinity is lyrical. The Father is the lover, the Son is the loved one, and the Holy Spirit is the love they send forth. Will you allow me one grace note? One of the ways Christians remind themselves and others that they are believers in the triune God is to make the sign of the cross on their bodies. Did you know that in the 1784 edition of the Methodist Book of Worship, our founder John Wesley maintained the practice of signing the newly baptized? So whenever I baptize someone, I use my thumb to make the sign of the cross on the baby or individual's forehead. And when I teach about baptism, I tell the parents and others that the baptized, who have not been baptized, that the cross on their forehead is invisible every day except one day of the year. And that's on Ash Wednesday when the sign of the cross is marked in the ashes from last year's Palm Sunday, Ash of Palms. And we acknowledge that we are mortals. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But the sign is in the shape of a cross to proclaim that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we are a part of the beloved community. And though we don't do it very often, I found out from our official United Methodist website, and so that must mean that it's true, that there is no restriction on United Methodists when it comes to making the sign of the cross on our foreheads or on our bodies as a simple reminder of who we are and whose we are. So I trust that you will hear these words today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is now our opportunity, in fact, it's a privilege for us to be able to give back to God a portion of what God has entrusted to our care. If you're here in person, um, you're invited to present your tithes and offerings as the ushers uh, wait upon us. If you're online, um, you can find out more about giving at stonybrook.church slash give. I invite the ushers to wait upon us.
All things come from you, O God, and with gratitude we return to you what is yours. You created all that is, and with love formed us in your image. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, and all that we are and all that we have is a trust from you. And so, in gratitude to all of, your, all of these gifts, we offer you ourselves and all that we have in union with Christ's offering for us. And by your Holy Spirit, O oh God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all your world. And we pray all of this through your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and prays with us. Amen.
You know, sometimes you just have to clap in church. Thank you so much. That helped us to sing. Isn't that good? I want to say thank you to Pastor David for allowing me to preach today. It invited me to preach next week, but Mary Beth and Kate were not going to be able to be with me, and they are here with me today. And my brother, the, the, the senior Reverend Thomas, who's much older than I am, but who is still working, He's he just a hard worker. My brother and sister-in-law, Rich and Jenny Thomas, are here too, and I'm glad that they could be with us on this last time we're preaching together. And we, I just want to say thank you for the gracious way you've received and accepted my family and my ministry here. It has truly been a great joy. Today, we have thought about what it means to be God's people, that we are the beloved community, that we are part of that holy dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are blessed to be a blessing. And I remind you that wherever you go, you have the opportunity to be the Christ, to be the Spirit, to be the Creator God. Remember these things, that you are blessed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.